0: So, so, so glad to see all of you. you know, I love this class. This is a wonderful, wonderful body of believers in here. And one of the couple of reasons, first and primarily, y'all love the study of the word of God. That's the most important, and that binds us all together. And then second, and as a function of your love for the word of God, therefore you love God. And loving God means you love one another. And so it's a delight to be here where all of you kind of know one another, at least at some level. We're not a class where somebody comes in and sits at the table over there and no one knows who he is or she is. I mean, for instance, how many of you know where Mark is? Is Mark here today? Mark, are you here today? Raise your hand if you're here, Mark. Oh, there's a Mark. How many of you know Gordon? Oh, there he is. And so this is the kind of class that you are. You're the kind of class that you want to know one another. You're excited about being here, not only just to hear the word taught, but you're excited to see one another. And so that's wonderful. It's just wonderful. I have missed not being here. I don't know the last time I was up in front here. It feels like 10 years ago, but uh, I'm sure it isn't that far ago. This morning we're starting a new study. You probably did anyone, did anyone not, does anyone not get the emails that I send out occasionally to members of the school of the word letting you know what's happening? For instance, I sent an email out or maybe two emails this week. Did everyone get those two? If you did, if you didn't get them and you want to get them. If you let somebody like Mike in the back there know, you see Mike. Mike is the good-looking guy. Oh no, no, that's somebody. Yeah, you're right. Mike, no, Mike is the one in the back. So if you're not getting emails from us, and I don't, I don't barrage people with emails it kind of let you know what's happening or whatever. Um, so let Mike know. But this morning we're starting a study on First John. Typical. I began to pray, obviously, I have to hear from the Holy Spirit is what to teach. And so I began to pray what to teach. This is, I don't know, whenever long ago. And I had another book of the Bible in mind. I don't remember what it was. And why do I share this with you? To let you know that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads the class and who is the teacher, correct? Peter Davidson is not the leader of this class. I am not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is using us but I am not the teacher and so I am settled on another book and so in the morning I listened to the word of God and I in my travels through I'm in first John and as I began to listen to first John it was as if the spirit said this is what I want you to teach this is what I want you to teach and I reminded God this how is that you how many of y'all know Big Al? Al, stand up. Let us listen. Is that Al? Yeah, okay. That's Al, everybody. All right. With these masks, I, I just, I have to get used to, I have to kind of recognize your mask. And I don't know who you are. <laughs> get it, man. Well, what was I talking about? Oh, First John. And I reminded the Lord, well, I've taught First John before. How many of you were in the class when they taught it before? One or two people? Is that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Steve? And the Lord reminded me two things. There's nothing wrong with teaching the same book of the Bible many times. Secondly, ain't nobody going to be in there except a handful who remember it anyway. So Steve, I think the uh, the Holy Spirit had you in mind, like Steve was there. So I I need to get going, but I I don't, you know me by now. I believe I know what the Lord wants me to talk about because I have notes. But then as I travel through, I feel often, talk about this, say that. Well, it's not my notes. Say it. Oh, okay, okay, I'll say it. And so sometimes if I don't get through all the notes today, you know what we'll do. We'll pick it up the next time. As I have re-looked at First John for the first time as a teacher to teach it in many years, it has really come to bear in me a weight of significance that I did not see years ago. A weight of significance that we'll begin to talk about today a little bit, next week more, and then the following week after the men's retreat, we'll be back after that week, the weight of the significance. And so the temptation in me is always, talk about it today. No, I don't want to do that because I need to do it within the context of a flow rather than just bits and pieces of a puzzle put together and they don't carry as much, if you would, significance. But there's a weight of significance in this letter that I have not seen before. And as I looked at it and studied and began to read and contemplate and listen to God, listen to the Holy Spirit, sit and listen to God speak. Are you hearing me? Prayer. Listen to God. Began to. Share things about this and about that, and gave me there, you know, taking notes. I put them in now my phone. You know, I speak into that and keep the notes there. And this is an astounding work of the Holy Spirit. Come on in, Paige. Every work of the Holy Spirit is astounding. But I believe and I hope that we will receive from this letter, the instruction of the Holy Spirit, that will begin to further, or maybe for the first time, revolutionize how we live as believers. And so I'm excited. I am pumped about this. Amen. I take that just to kind of let you know the flavor of what I believe, sorry, what I know the Holy Spirit is going to do. I know that. Amen. So what I ask for you to do for me is this. Pray. Pray that I have the mind of God for every lesson. And then that the Holy Spirit communicates his mind to us through me every lesson. And that you receive that communication by the Holy Spirit, every lesson, and as we receive it every lesson, we begin to be transformed by that lesson amen, amen. that 's what i 'm asking you to be praying about. Father, thank you so much, Father, when we are brave enough when i 'm brave enough to take a look at my life and who I am and how how I have been and aware of weaknesses and areas of difficulty. Father, I shudder. I shudder. Not only because of the humanity in me, but then I shudder with great joy of your goodness, of your mercy of your grace, of your forbearance with me, your patience, your kindness, your gentleness, your instruction, your correction. What a God you are. Father, every one of us in this room who were your children feel the same way. Father, thank you for sometimes pausing me and causing me just to take a look at me and then to take a look at you. Father, what a God you are. So we just submit ourselves to you in this study. We thank you for your care. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some background information. The probability is we won't get through it all today, but that's okay. That's okay. By the time John writes 1 John and the there's always a debate. When did this letter get written? When did the other one get written? The problem is you heard about that great discovery in the Qumran scale. Uh, what do you call uh, caves? The, the uh, papyri. What am I talking about? I forgot my word. It went right out of my mouth. Scrolls. Thank you. Scales, scrolls. I mean scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead sea scrolls. Good morning, Richard. I mean uh, Richard. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? You look like Richard, whoever he is. I don't know Richard, but you look like him. (laughs) Everybody knows Stephen. And, oh, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. That's the end of it, okay? Now, (laughs) if I keep going, he's going to want to start getting up and singing. We're not doing that today. (laughs) Uh, And so in the Qumran scrolls, thank you, Judy. You heard about that scroll that was found one of the gospels, the letters rather, and it had on there A.D. 61. Now someone should have laughed. Thank you. They weren't dating things then. These letters are not dated. And so when we read a letter, we have to discern from the content and and, and things around it, the, the the issue of what is being talked about, uh, the cultural background, the emphasis. We have to kind of discern when do we think this letter was written. And so, not that it's the biggest thing in the world, but the probability is that the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written somewhere around 85 to 90 A.D., toward the end of the first century. We believe that the Author of this letter is the author of the Gospel of John, although that's disputed by some. It's okay. And we also believe he's the author of the book of Revelation. But nevertheless, this is the Word of God, which is the important thing to remember. And so he's writing during a time when the church, you remember, has spread out from Jerusalem. You remember the church started in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And it remained basically a Jewish sub-religion, if you would, sub-faith, if you would, of Judaism. That's kind of how they saw themselves as Jews, but Christian Jews. And then because of persecution and so on, the church began to be scattered. Remember, Stephen's head was cut off by Archelaus, and then you know it went from there. So the believers were scattered throughout the empire. By the time we come to this date, 80 85 90 the church is now spread throughout the roman empire and it has been now living in the empire is subject to various political social philosophical pressures that were prevalent in the empire very much like what we have today we are a scattered people into the world and we are living in the midst of a culture whether it's in this world or wherever that culture may be. And I think we have to be very careful to remember this. We're living in a culture that is governed by the God of this world. Amen? You remember what 2 Corinthians 4 says, talking about the people not seeing the gospel, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the mind's of the unbelieving, that they may not see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so what does John, 1 John five nineteen say? This may be in your notes, actually. Do you have that in there, 1 John 19? 1 John 19 says what? Anybody knows what they, he says? The entire world lies in the lap or in the authority of the evil one. And how did that happen? How did we get to where we are today? Genesis 3-6. What does Genesis 3-6, the last three words of Genesis 3-6 say? And he ate. And so Genesis 3-6 is the cause of 1 John five nineteen. And what Jesus warns us about as a result is in John ten ten. 10 what does John ten ten say? For the thief cometh, but to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So let's get this in our minds. Good morning. How are y'all doing, Bo? You didn't think I remember, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You thought I saw your eyes. This old bat doesn't remember a thing. But we don't know your lady friend. This is my fiancee Deja. Deja. Good morning. Good to have you here. Everybody, this is Deja. All right. We, we introduce everybody, so don't feel like, why did he do that? Why did he do that? You know, I didn't, for instance, I apologize. I didn't introduce Jamal Jones. I almost fell down when you walked in. I was so excited. So this is Bo. Did everybody get his name? Okay, everybody. Everybody knows who Sir Charles Sr. is? Sir Charles, would you raise your hand? There's Sir Charles. And all of these other lovelies are his family. Lovelies, lovelies. So, it's important to get this as the church. We are living in a world that is governed politically, sociologically, economically, any other Lee, all the other Lees, by the God of this world. Now you think, that's that's extreme. That's radical. But you see, When the Holy Spirit calls him the God of this world or the entire world lies in the authority of the evil one. What does God mean here? That this world in every aspect of it is under the domain of Satan. And the only ones who are freed from the captivity of this one are those who are in Christ. Amen. Amen. And we have to be very careful, and the church has been not careful about this and has been drawn into the world way too much. What the world does and how it does and why it does has a malevolent purpose in it to be raised up against the knowledge of God. And the church has to be very careful in how we relate to the world and how we are absorbed by and we absorb the things of this world. Amen? We have to be very careful in this. So John is an elder. He's an, he's an overseer. He's a, called bishop, elder, whatever. He's an apostle. And as that, as a leader in the church, he is responsible to God. He's responsible to God to protect the gospel by being in his Titus one nine. Paul tells Titus, this is your duty, Titus, and this is the duty of every leader in the church. You must be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That's the primary directive of an elder in the church, is to be aware of what is being taught and coming into the church that is unbiblical, and then to deal with that in a way that... W- reveals the lack of biblicity and brings forth the correction and deals with those who are teaching that which is unbiblical now that doesn't that means this if one of the teachers in the church is teaching something that's you know awful whatever the elders are supposed to go to that person do the correction hopefully the person will say oh yeah i see that i i didn't quite get that clear and that's all right but if there is someone in the church or a group in the church that is teaching unbiblical doctrine and they persist in that then the elder is required by the holy spirit to put them out of the church Okay, that's grace. And we'll see an evidence of grace in John's writing in just a moment or two, or maybe not today. We'll see. So that's what's happening here. Into this church has come is a group of believers. These are house churches, you remember. This is not a church that meets on the side of the road there in the big building. These are house churches. And so permeating into the church is Greek philosophy and of various sorts. The sort that is more prevalent in this particular church is called Gnosticism. I think it may be in your notes. The word Gnostic comes from gnosis, which means to know, to have knowledge of. And the problem with this is this. There are people in the church who have brought into the church their beliefs that they had before they were saved. Correct? Correct. How many of you know that you've come from a religious background, you've gotten saved, and then you bring that background or that theology into the church, and it is a challenge to deal with this and to not be still held captive to that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. And so it's in the church. It's permeated the church. It's still permeating the church bad doctrine and will always permeate the church until the Lord Jesus returns and so John is dealing with this the primary issue with Gnosticism was this we won't go into any detail but Gnosticism was this they saw the world as good and evil everything of the natural material universe especially say the flesh was evil this was created by an evil deity Therefore, nothing of the natural, the the material, the flesh, was any good. And then there was the other side, the spiritual. Anything of the spirit and so on was good. So there's that dichotomy, which means this. Because the flesh is evil in their minds, and they taught this, they shared this, maybe in the covenant group, The teacher was teaching something about Jesus and, you know, this came up and they started debating it and, and, you know, saying, no, that can't be true because of whatever. Because of this, they denied that Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh. Why? Because how can God, being holy and pure, without any contamination or pollution or anything whatsoever of of frailty, of fallibility. How can God dwell in a body that is filled with this corruption? Do you see? It can't happen. So one of two ways we're taught. There's the spirit of Jesus that came upon Jesus and which is kind of with him, but at the cross it withdrew from Jesus and so on. Okay, fine. It denied the atonement. I'm sorry, the incarnation of the Son of God. The other part was, well, Jesus wasn't really flesh. He just appeared to be flesh. It was just an appearance. It was a good show. In any way, in, at any rate, God, Jesus, or the Son of God, however we want to say it, could not have dwelt. As a man upon the earth. Because it was evil. The body is evil. Now do we have any religions today that feel that way? What's the main religion that feels that way? Islam. Islam. Islam will tell you there's no way. There's no way that this pure God can become a man. There's just no way. And so Jesus is considered a great man, a great teacher, a prophet, but he therefore is nevertheless, what? A man. So when people tell you that the God of Islam, the God of Judaism, and the God of Christianity, they're the same God, they're wrong. They're wrong. But why basically? Basically why? Because you see, they deny that the Son of God is incarnate as the Son of Man. They deny the Trinity. They deny the Trinity. And then an aspect of that is this, that God himself cannot be connected or join himself to human depravity. It can't happen. It won't happen. And you say, well, how can this happen? How can the Holy Spirit dwell in a temple, a vessel? Remember, we're called temples of the Holy Spirit. How can a holy God dwell in us? In our souls, remember, if we're unpure, how can he do that? Therefore, the reason that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21, remember that? God has done a work in his son at the cross such that in that forgiveness that Jesus purchased at the cross, was not only the forgiveness of our sin, but the declaration by God that we are now solically, our souls are not our bodies. Our souls are what? Absolutely, completely righteous. Do we see that? Remember that? Second Corinthians 5, 21. You'll read it there. We are righteous people. Therefore, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, our souls, as a righteous person. And yes, he is In us, in these um, physical bodies, but he's not being polluted or tainted by that. And so it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, in our minds, that is causing us and transforming us so that the result is our bodies are beginning to become more and more under the control of his spirit. And so John has to deal with these things. The difficulty is... If this teaching is correct and left to continue in the church, it's going to undermine the, uh, the uh, incarnation. And if the incarnation is undermined, can we be saved if the Son of God did not become the Son of Man? Can we be saved? You remember in the previous study, what did we say are the two pillars upon which our, which our faith rests? What are they? Tell us, Stephen. Stephen is the spokesman for this, son of God, son of man. This man, Jesus, had to be the son of God at the same time the son of man. Equally and simultaneously, these two natures dwelling in this one person. It has to be in order for us to be redeemed. And so to deny either one is to deny the incarnation And to deny the incarnation is to deny our salvation. And so some of these folks have been put out of the church. Some of them may be still in the church. And so John is going to have to write to deal with this. So this is why we put it like this. John's letter is both polemic. You know, what polemic means Is that in your notes, polemic. Is it there or not? Yes. All right. John's letter is polemic. What is a polemic? A polemic is a strong argument against or an attack against something. So John's letter is polemic. And it's also pastoral. Why is it polemic? You see, John is upset. He is angry. He is attacking the bad doctrine. We're not talking about angry and attacking and upset with the behavior of believers. That's where his pastoring comes in. He is handling the believers as a gardener handles a very frail and gentle vine. There's a difference. This isn't the excuse for the pastor or the elder to be attacking the believers and attacking the church and condemning the church. That's not what this is about. He is polemic against the bad doctrine and he's polemic against those who are furthering or teaching this doctrine. He's against them. Now, listen to what he says. He draws distinction between those who are of the right faith, the teaching, and the wrong faith, the teaching. So John calls those who belong to God he calls them little children seven times my little children okay he's very careful to distinguish the people of God and he's very careful to call them in a with a term that is very caring and fatherly for them very careful in that every believer believer not necessarily member of the church but believer is to be cared for very carefully and gently, but strongly in a good way for the purpose of honoring the father and protecting the believer and growing the believer. So as I use a little illustration, remember the little vine. I met with a lady one time and she was very concerned about how to relate to her son who who had continually been into drugs. And she says, I get so angry, I just want to, I said, okay, fine. Do you do any gardening? Well, she did. She was a gardener. I said, now, have you ever had one of those little vine things, you know, that, yes, you know how those are very tender, and if you do it the wrong way, you snap it. You know what I'm talking about? And so it's growing in the wrong direction. The believer is walking in the wrong direction, acting the wrong way. So what I asked her, how do you do that vine? You take it, snap it, and you're going to change, and we're going to put you on the other way, and that's the way it's going to be. She said, oh, no, I'd kill it. Exactly. So I asked her, what do you do to cause that little vine to go in the right direction? And she described very careful, gentle, caring, untwining it. Let's say it's growing in the wrong way untwining it, and redirecting it. I said, exactly. That's the way you are to deal with your son. That's the way every one of us, and especially the leadership of the church, is to deal with the issues in a believer's life. Strong hands, but very carefully and gently moving them, moving us into the right direction. And so he calls them beloved. But then, on the other hand, John calls those whose teaching is unbiblical antichrist. Antichrist. What does that mean? They're against Christ. By the way, the word antichrist is only in these letters. Have you noticed that antichrist isn't in the Revelation? You know how they teach the antichrist? Well, I don't dispute that, but the word is not in Revelation. Not that I remember. He calls them false prophets. He tells them three times, you're a liar. Now, what's wrong with that? The problem with that is, if we're not careful, we will think that the word grace means that we should never use that kind of terminology in the church. Can you imagine the preacher standing up one morning and saying, there are people in this church, you're liars, talking about the. You know, teaching bad doctrine. You're liars. Well, when Paul says in Galatians 1, I hope all of you go to hell. Remember? Let them be anathema, condemned to hell. And then he says in verse 9, And I tell you again. And he repeats it. We would say, That's not grace, Gordon. That's not grace teaching, you see. That's not grace teaching, Todd. Is it grace teaching or not? Yes or no? We're talking about dealing with unbelievers. False doctrine here. Is this grace? Yes or no? Well, okay. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23. Listen to how Jesus talks to the religious community. Who are biblically misleading his people. Listen to the terminology. Hypocrites. Hypocrites blind guides fools and blind men blind guides wash whitewashed tombs full of hypocrisy and lawlessness serpents you brood of vipers you know we wouldn't let somebody like that be a pastor in our church it could be that you can't pastor in this church you're too what you're too radical you're too strident we don't put up with that kind of thing we we want to be we want to love people we want the church to be a place where everybody can come in and feel wanted and cared for and accepted do you hear it is that what the world teaches and unfortunately that's what the church teaches that's not the gospel it's not the gospel It's elements of that is the gospel, but that's not the gospel. That's not the purpose of the church. To be a comfort to all those people out in the world to come in and feel good about themselves. The purpose of the church. Is to declare the glory of God. And that is done by the Holy Spirit as he saves us from our sin. And begins to cause us to walk in holiness. And stay away from that other and be condemning of the other. now, what is the basis? why was jesus why are john Why are Jesus and John so angry? Why so angry? Why so angry? Well, do you remember in John chapter two in the beginning of jesus' ministry, Jesus travels down for the per- first passover that he's uh, attending during his um, since the time of coming out of the wilderness. And he walks into the temple. He goes to church. And what does he see in church? The money changes. And all the, the system of the world in the church. The system of the world in the church. The church doing things the way the world does them. And he is ticked off do you remember what this mild meek sweetheart jesus does this man who would never offend anybody do you remember what he does he takes ropes and he knots them together and he starts at one end of the courtyard it's a court court of the gentiles and he starts at one end, and he begins to go through yelling, raising his voice, whipping, turning over carts, turning over tables. I mean, it was a riot. And everybody realized, stay away from this man. Don't. It's interesting that he didn't get arrested. There was something happening here where this was the Holy Spirit. This was God Almighty himself cleaning out his house from the rubble of the world. And so... What does it say in verse 17, John 2? And the disciples remembered what? The saying from Psalm, what? Zeal for thy house hath consumed me. Why is the apostle John so animated? Why is he so animated when he says, you're a liar? You're a hypocrite. You're false teachers. You're antichrist. Why is he so animated? Because, you see, this man is so filled with the zeal of God for his people and for the welfare of his family. If anybody comes into your house at night ready to do damage to your family, your zeal is going to rise up against them, won't it? You will in zeal rise up, rise up against this. And so it is the zeal. For the honor and the integrity and the glory of God as contained in and manifested in his people that is moving John to write this way. And I'm sorry, church. Today the church needs a whole lot more men like this. Men who will rail rightly, right, righteousness, rightly against the issues of. That attack the church to undo the biblical foundations of the church. Not rail against the sin of the church. Deal with it. But deal with it differently. Because there's enough bad doctrine coming into the church today. We see churches today beginning to bow and bend and do everything for whatever is out there. Don't you know what I'm talking about? And hopefully... Lakeview Christian Center will never succumb to any of that. I suppose as I close today. The question is this. Do I. Do you. Have a zeal for God's word. That causes you. Causes me. To want to know it. To want to be formed by it through the power of the Holy Spirit. To want to recognize that which is ungodly. And to want to walk in a way that stays away from that. And if necessary to attack that in the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I need to pray about more. Maybe we do. Father. Increase. Your zeal in me. Not increase my zeal. I want God's zeal. I want God's zeal for me. Amen. We need to have God's zeal this morning. Let me end the class this way. I need to read this letter to us from David Batten. To the saints of God in the school of the word. Many of you know who David is. He's the co-teacher. Remember David? After much consideration, discussion, and prayer, Frankie and I believe the Lord is leading us to move on from Lakeview and connect with another church party here in the city. This decision did not come quickly or lightly, and there are many things we already miss about being at Lakeview. One of the things I will miss most is this class gathering with so many people who share my desire to regularly delve into the riches of God's word has been a bulwark for my faith. More, the encouragement I receive from so many of you has been a confirmation that God is using my desire to teach his word and motivation to continue refining whatever gifting he has given me. Most of all, The care, direction, encouragement, and example I have received from Peter. By the way, I did not want to read this paragraph, but Gene said I must. I have received from Peter has left an indelible mark on my heart and mind. Never again will I be able to prepare to teach without the conviction that my greatest need is for the spirit to direct my thoughts and words. Amen. Amen. I would say I will miss him most of all. But I hope to continue meeting with him for coffee and discussion as long as he can still hear me. (laughs) Frankie and I covered your prayers for us and our children as we walk through the coming months of transition, both that we would be cared for and receive clear direction on where he is leading us to serve in this new season in Christ David. So we'll continue next week. Thank you.